Nothing on this podcast is intended as legal advice, nor does it create an attorney-client relationship. Please be advised that this podcast also contains spoilers and swears. to Murder, She Woke, a podcast that explores Lenny Briscoe's gritty origin story. I am one of your hosts, Elizabeth. And I'm your other host, Laura. So, Laura, I hear there's lots of news coming out of Georgia. Yes, we have all of the sports news in Georgia. Tonight, as we record, it is game six of the World Series. The Braves are ahead by one game, three to two. So if the Braves win tonight, they will be the 2020 world, 2021 World Series champions. I have been waiting for this moment since 1995. It is so hard being a sports fan in Georgia because, I mean, the Falcons suck until they don't. But when they don't, they get into the World Series and they blow a 28-3 lead in the fourth quarter. Are you talking about when they played the Patriots? Yes. Yeah, because I watched that game. And I didn't have anybody, I didn't have any loyalty except not Tom Brady. Right. (laughs) And I got such bad anxiety from watching it that I had to turn it off. Yeah, yeah. I I think that gave me PTSD. The Braves, so the Braves won the World Series in 1995. They went to the World Series in 99 but lost. And then they haven't been back to the World Series since. But in Baltimore sports news, the Baltimore Ravens, the football team, they were in Cleveland. In true Baltimore fashion, linebacker Malik Harrison gets shot in the leg by a stray bullet outside of a nightclub (laughs) in Cleveland. Oh, man. So you can... You can take the football player out of Baltimore, but you can't take the Baltimore out of the football player. And I'm wondering if there's anything to this 5G magnetism. Maybe that's why he caught the bullet is because (laughs) his COVID vaccine magnetized him. That's someone should definitely look into that. Can somebody please do that research and get back to us? That would be really helpful. Back to the sports in Georgia, the UGA Bulldogs also clinched the SEC East this past weekend. So, yay. Yay. Next episode (laughs) is a sports one, so you can take the lead on that because I have no sports ideas because they give me anxiety. I'll take (laughs) Brought to you by ESPN. (laughs) You can advertise on here, ESPN. (laughs) Just let us know. Would you like to talk about murder she wrote now would that would that be cool yeah why don't why don't we get to the heart of the podcast so this time we are talking about season one episode 17 tough guys don't die so we open on a city which we later find out to be boston we are kind of thrown into this 80s neo-noir private ice and where a hard-boiled private detective has his feet up on a desk and he's talking on the phone to a mysterious client about 
supposedly this old murder case. It turns out he is actually talking to Jessica about the something called the Danbury scalpel murders, which apparently were a big deal about 25 years ago. And it appears that this guy is at a dead end, but he says he has one more lead in a small town in Vermont. So this guy's name is Mills, and he's pretty good at record keeping because as soon as he gets off the phone, he starts making a note to himself about his conversation with Jessica. By this point, his uh, secretary had already, and as he's giving this note to himself on his old timey tape recorder, in comes someone with a gun and bang, he dead. The next scene that we see is a construction site where an Italian stereotype, who we later know as Mr. Santini, is sitting in kind of, what would you call it? It's the the closest thing I can approximate it to is those booths that the parking garage attendant sit in. It's technically a construction office. So now they use trailers, but I guess then they just, they built something out of- He's on the phone to somebody and- he looks in the paper, there's this headline about a detective being gunned down in his office, and then Mr. Santini is relieved because he thinks that was the guy who was following him. They're all there. The next scene that we cut to is knockoff Anna Wintour is coming back from Paris with her, I guess, Anne Hathaway's character in The Devil Wears Prada. She gets accosted at the airport by her ex-husband. His name is Gavin. Apparently he's some big nerd from academia. And he mentions to her that somebody was up in his sleepy college town nosing around and asking questions about them and their marriage. They talk in code a little bit and, and they don't want anybody to know about their past, blah, blah, blah. It's all very mysterious. So Gavin indicates that the guy had been shot and that's the end of the scene. After she turns him down for dinner, because apparently they they were together, but they seem to still get along, which I guess is nice. We smash cut to Cabot Cove and Jessica's house. We get a Google Street view of Jessica's house, and she's peering out of her windows at who is probably the world's worst PI (laughs) because he's not very good at hiding. He's just this random ass guy in a car sitting in her not crowded neighborhood, just kind of reading the paper in his car. Mm -hmm. So she fakes him out, pretends to leave, and he decides... To not wait until he sees her leave, he just decides that he's going to walk into her house and start looking around, start looking around. And then she ambushes him and asks him what he's looking for. He explains his name is Harry McGraw. He is Mr. Miles's partner and that Jessica's one of his clients and that he's investigating Miles' murder. Jessica, in this case, has a bit of a reaction that maybe I understand its need for the plot but I don't think that it makes sense in real life, is she chides him for breaking and entering into her home, but she just kind of leaves it at that. Harry McGraw is played by a handsome young Jerry Orbach, who we will later come to know and love as Lenny Briscoe in the original Law and Order series, which Laura has not seen because she's way too devoted to Mariska Hargitay. Also, he is baby's dad in Dirty Dancing. They have this funny exchange where she says, you should have called first. And he said, that's not my style. Apparently, Harry is too busy to follow the law. And he just kind of pieces out. Jessica decides to go ambush somebody again. (laughs) This time, it's Miles' wife. 
who is understandably heartbroken that her husband was shot dead and doesn't really feel like talking to, to Jessica, but she kind of presses her, asks if Miles said anything to her about a small town in Vermont. Miles' wife is like, get the fuck off. My right. Porch. Like, I'm yeah, I mean, it is here. kind of rude to Jessica for Jessica to show up and be like, hey, did your husband before he was so brutally murdered, did he mention anything about my case, by the way? <laughs> <laughs> We go back to Boston and knock off Teddy Roosevelt is skulking outside <laughs> a construction site in a car and Harry pulls up behind him. They have a brief exchange. Apparently Harry's been working knock off TR to death and turns out they're surveilling Mr. Santini because his wife thinks he's cheating on her because he keeps randomly disappearing every night, which makes right. a lot of sense. TR leaves and then Harry gets ambushed. Perry tries to follow Santini, but he's not very good at it. So he gets ambushed by a bunch of goons on hard hats. They punch him in the face and that's the end of the scene. We go to one of the, well, it's probably the second of many, many, Mm -hmm. many scenes at the office where Alma, the secretary, is sad. Harry is tired. He's been punched in the face. He's not having a good day. And Jessica is there. And she didn't call ahead of time and he's not happy. So she kind of milks him for information. She asks to see some files. We get a little bit of exposition about the Danbury scalpel murders. And apparently the working theory is that the there was a famous doctor or a well-known doctor was the murderer, but some fancy talking slime bucket attorney from the big city got him off or something. The implication is that there was some funny business with evidence and that Dr. Whoever should have been convicted, but he was acquitted. And as such, Harry has this distrust of the legal system, hence the vigilante justice. After that scene ends, we're in the police station with Lieutenant Starkey. I don't know. I liked him. I just, he just had a really nice welcoming face. Yeah, I I could see that about his face, but he really, he just really didn't do anything in the show. Like he had, there had to be lieutenant police officer type figure and that was he was just filled that role and one thing that comes out in this conversation is that miles the guy who was murdered used to be a police officer and he used to teach at the police academy and just wants to know why in the hell they're not putting every available man on his case Mm -hmm. and essentially what lieutenant starkey says is Harry's going to get him. Let's just stay out of Harry's way. So now it's, I guess, the next day and Jess is in Priscilla Daniels' office. She owns, I don't think, did you say this? That she, no, I call her knockoff Anna Wintour, who is the editor of Vogue. Oh, okay. She is in Anna Wintour's office, who owns, I guess she owns, she's the editor of Femininity Magazine. I am Going to say that incorrectly. I know that's just too many, too many syllables. Magazine sh- titles shouldn't have more than a couple syllables, especially not ones that sound so similar. Right. Just yes, I think Femme Magazine would have been so much better. But anyway, so they're at the corporate office and they are discussing an article that Priscilla wants Jessica to write for the magazine. 
And they're having different ideas about the article because Anna Wintour wants uh, an article that's like women past 40 fending off literary sharks while maintaining a sense of identity as a woman. But Jessica wants to write a remembrance piece about her marriage. So they go back and forth about this for a little bit. Anna Wintour is kind of like, well, this this magazine is about the woman of t- today making it in a man's world. And Jessica kind of was kind of just as like, okay, well, this is what I want to write. And if I can't write it, then sorry to have wasted your time. And when Jessica says that, Anna Wintour comes around and says, okay, well, 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 I'm sure whatever you write is going to be great. So Anna Wintour consents or eventually agrees to let Jessica write this gushy remembrance piece about her her marriage. And then Anna Wintour invites Jessica to the magazine's fifth anniversary party that's happening the next day. And while Anna is walking Jessica out of the office into the elevators, they run into Harry, who is dressed up as a rich cowboy that's never ridden a horse before. He's got some great fringe going on. Fringe? Oh, did I miss that? I'm sorry. Fringe? All I saw was the cowboy hat and the Joe Biden aviators. I think it was distracted by <laughs> yes. that. Yeah, I, so I think his cowboy suit was like an orange, like a burnt orange color. And then it had fringe on the jackets. But Harry is pretending to be some big wig advertising agent. And he's doing this, I guess, to get close to Anna Wintour to kind of question her without her kind of realizing it. Can we just take just a a brief second to talk about Harry's disguises in this episode or... His Wait, personas. there's more than one? Well, no, just kind of the persona. Personas. First of all, all these people in Boston have New York accents. And second of all, it just reminds me of a sketch where somebody is at Costco and they want to get free samples. So they just go back wearing a different hat. Because that seems like what mm. he's doing. Because for being a PI, he's not that good. The art of subtlety is not his strong suit. So he may be very good at deductive reasoning and problem solving, putting two and two together. But yeah, as far as undercover work and finessing, it's really, that's not, that's not his strong suit. But it, it feels everybody in the episode is kind of in on the joke. Because Anna Wintour falls for his gag. Okay, come in strange man I've never heard of who has a giant bruise on his face and is wearing sunglasses inside. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, that was that was an interesting uh, exchange there. But I do love his comment, though, when Anna Wintour asks him about his black eye. And he's just, oh, I just had a minor disagreement about my parentage. Later that evening, Jess is going back to her hotel room. And when she's When she enters, Harry is in there in the dark, sitting in a chair and smoking. And he jimmied the lock to get into the hotel room. He's there to tell Jessica to stay out of his way. And Priscilla Daniels, or Anna Wintour, is his case. And she needs to leave it alone. But Jessica says that they're really after the same thing. And that's to find out who killed Archie Miles. And she's not going to back down, especially since all Harry wants to do is just kill the guy and wants to circumvent justice. 
So at this point, Harry kind of relents and is like, well, all right, you're not going to back down. So come by the office in the morning and we'll go through the files together. So the next day when they're going through the files, it's revealed that Jessica and Harry and no one really knows who hired Archie for the Anna Wintour case or why. All they have is that the client's initials are EPF and that he or she paid a $1,000 retainer. During this meeting, Jessica mentions rumors that Anna Wintour might run for public office. When they had their meeting yesterday, a political chairman called Anna Wintour during their meeting. And then Jessica mentions that it's possible that EPF, the initials of the client, it's possible that they hired Archie to dig up dirt on Priscilla to kind of thwart her political ambitions. And Jessica suggests that they hire an audio technician to clean up the recording on the tape of when Archie was killed, Jessica thinks that when Archie kind of gasped right before he was shot, that maybe he was trying to say something. And Harry gets a little offended by this and tells her that she's just along for the ride and don't tell him how to do his job. Well, and also he does that kind of old fogey thing where he refuses to accept advances in technology as like crime solving tools he's like i just need my brains and my shoe leather he's just like an old curmudgeon who's afraid of change so yes he would be like dna shmeana like i don't know what that science is yeah that's gonna become a really large part of your job in about 10 years meanwhile ray kravitz the other pi in the office he's bitching that they need to hire another guy because they can't keep up with the workload and then he mentions that santini has withdrawn $85,000 in cash from company accounts. So he's got to look more into that. Jess goes to the magazine's anniversary party, and it's super fancy. She chats with Gavin, Anna Wintour's ex-husband, and he says that they're still in love, which is why their their divorce works so well, uh, is because she's devoted to the magazine and he's devoted to teaching. Jessica brings up rumors that Anna Wintour might be running for office, but Gavin claims that he doesn't know anything about them. She hasn't said anything like that to him. Then Anna Wintour introduces Jessica to Judge Carter Lambert. Now, Judge Carter Lambert does not seem amused about this introduction because apparently Jessica has been trying to get in touch with him. She sent him several letters and has called him several times about the Danbury Scalpel murder case, but he has not returned her calls or her letters, and he is refusing to talk about the case, even though that case made his career. And then he mentions something about perjured testimony and manufactured evidence, and he outwardly suggests that if Jessica this book about the Danbury Scalpel murder case, that he will sue her for libel. And then he storms off. So... Anna Wintour sees this exchange and comes to Jessica and asks her what this was about. And she tells Anna Wintour that the judge is unhappy with the detective that she hired to contact him about the case. And then she goes on to tell Anna Wintour that this detective was also investigating her, Anna Wintour, before he died. And Jessica asks her if 
it could have been to thwart her political ambitions. And Anna Wintour, again, claims to know nothing about the murder detective and then the political ambitions. Those are just rumors. Now, Anna Wintour slips up here because Jessica never said that, that the detective was murdered. She just said that he died. But Anna Wintour knew that he had been murdered. So that's suspicious. So the problem that I have with that is that there was like a pretty large article about it in the paper of records. I thought of that as well. Like she could have just said, oh, well, I I saw an article about a murdered private investigator. I just assumed you were talking about the same person. Yeah, I mean, how many private investigators get murdered in Boston every day? (laughs) God, probably dozens. After this party, we're back in the office again. And Jessica kind of waltzes in and steamrolls into Lenny's office, Harry's office. He's napping on the couch. I guess he had a hard night or maybe he doesn't live anywhere. But she, Jessica has this theory that Priscilla and a winter hire Miles Archie Miles to investigate her. She was kind of testing the waters for running for public office. What could somebody theoretically find if they looked me up on or if they looked up my past? It's called vetting is what Mm -hmm. people should do before they run for run a candidate for office. They come up with this theory that Priscilla hired somebody to dig up her skeletons to find out basically how we and apparently there was something going on something to do with the college town where her once and future love is kind of ensconced. Jessica also thinks that Judge Lambert has something to hide because she says that he was behaving kind of sketchily and being prevaricating and not releasing information. Jessica goes to ambush Mrs. Miles again, who has found a scrap of paper with uh, some words on it that indicates a person and a place. So Jessica gets on a bus to someplace in Vermont and she tracks down a young woman who's working in an insurance office and her name is Ms. Cargill. Is it Lisa Cargill? L. Cargill. She starts asking her questions about the Danbury scalp and about whether she knew this woman who was a nurse at the time of the murder and obviously Lisa gets really upset about it and she kind of shuts down storms off and then the world's most helpful boss comes out of the (laughs) office Mr. Sudbury he goes into this really long exposition very thorough and detailed about how oh don't mind her her parents just died it's fine (laughs) and then he explains that they ran a nursing home and that the Jessica figures out that Mrs. Cargill, now deceased, is the nurse who is on night shift whenever the Danbury scalpel murder happened, which is his own kind of thing going on in the background. So I have a question about this. Yes. Did Jessica know where she was going? Did she know who she wanted to ask about, like... Martha Clay and the Danbury murder trial or the scalpel trial beforehand because she goes into an insurance company's office and just starts asking questions. Well, she had that piece of paper. I think it had it had the town names. Okay. And then it had the, the guy's name and then it had Lisa or L. Cargill's okay. name. He's yeah. I'm Mr. Sudbury. Okay. And, I remember that. and if it's like a small town and you just wander around and you see somebody's name on a building. So that that would be my guess. I, I can't. He gives her all this helpful exposition. They died in a fire like a month ago. They were nursing home, et cetera, et cetera. 
Her fucking parents died. Like, that's a big yeah. deal. In a fire. At the same time. Trying to get all the... <laughs> trying to get all the old cripple people out of the fire. It is uh, Judge Lambert's time to ambush because he ambushes Jessica outside an insurance agency and he explains that he's had a change of heart and he decides he wants to tell her he followed her all the way to vermont which is super not creepy or anything <laughs> and he's like i'll give you a ride back to boston she's like cool i'll just get in your car no problem you follow me psyche back <laughs> he supposedly tells her the whole story when jess gets back to harry's office she's debriefing him on what she learned from judge lambert and it turns out that tom cargill was the real killer but he saved judge lambert's life in the war i don't know which war we're talking about yeah i was confused about that too i mean like based on age like it would be either it couldn't have been world war ii no it would have had to have either been korea or vietnam so apparently judge lambert then defense attorney lambert felt that he couldn't throw cargo under the bus because he saved his life but he also couldn't let the doctor fry so faked some evidence and got an acquittal classic first year philosophy class question is do the ends justify the means Mm -hmm. you're getting to justice meaning he's acquitted but you're doing it by like perjury and like obstruction of justice and any number of Mm -hmm. things like that could get him well obviously get him disbarred but it could also get him like maybe prison but also so the reason that tom cargill killed this person that was in the hospital we never know this person's name but tom cargill comes to the hospital to visit his girlfriend one evening and there he sees this person in the hospital And he recognizes this person as the person who raped his sister a year ago. And then his sister committed suicide a couple months previous to this. So it's kind of explained that Tom Cargill snaps and kills this rapist that actually got off on a technicality. I, I wondered what that technicality was. You mean a technicality like someone's constitutional rights? That kind of technicality? And and this is just like a general observation. And this comes up a little bit later in the episode as well. Is I think at this point in the show, she wrote, hadn't quite figured out its tone. (laughs) It like oscillates wildly between like Harry's hijinks and murder-suicide. Yes. And rape. Can we watch the episode of the Danbury murder, like the Danbury scalpel murder case? Like, I want that episode. And this stuff is just like dropped in as like a, as an aside. I'm like, that is a whole other story. (laughs) No. I want to know that story. Yeah, no, it was, yes. For, for an aside, like you said, this was very heavy. But, Rebecca, the office, knockoff, Theodore Roosevelt comes in and he says somebody tried to waste him while he was uh, surveilling Santini. Mm-hmm. And he says, oh, look at I've got bullets in my car seat. Oh, no. He can't give any details about his killer. He just blames Santini. And so at this point, they're in the lieutenant's office, right? At, at the police station? Oh, no, you're right. I don't remember. Another important note, Priscilla, or... Priscilla Anna Wintour has gone on TV and denounced all rumors that she's running for public office. Okay. Okay, so now everyone is at the police station and Ray Kravitz, he is explaining what happened. So he was 
staking out Santini at the construction trailer when a car pulls up across from him, shines their headlights into his face, and then a guy gets out of the car, walks up to him, and shoots at him twice. But luckily, Ray died. Later in this conversation, the lieutenant says that the bullets from Ray's car match the bullets that killed Archie Miles. And I was wondering if they meant like they've done ballistic testing and like looked at the striations on a bullet and determined that it came from the same gun or they just confirmed that both sets of bullets came from a 45. One like ballistics matching takes a really long time they wouldn't have it back that quickly and then also it's kind of bullshit science. Now Harry gets upset by the news of the bullets matching so he storms out and it sounds like he's gonna find and kill Santini because at this point they all think that Santini is guilty of killing Archie Miles yet they don't really know why Santini would kill Archie Miles but they think he did it. He's He makes for an easy fall guy but Jessica wants to look at Archie Miles's files again so Ray takes her back to the office for like the 57 11 dozenth time in the episode. The door is locked, so Ray has to dig his keys out of his pocket, which make a nice little jangling sound. I mention that because that is important and it will come back later. So Jessica starts looking through Priscilla and Anna Wintour's file when she notices that a piece of paper has been torn out of the file. So it's like one of those files that have like the copper or whatever clasps like the three hole punch and she notices that like a little piece of a corner of a piece of paper is kind of stuck in between so she surmises that someone has torn a sheet of paper out and this little piece got stuck so she has this j fletch aha moment and then she runs out of the office and she goes to priscilla anna wintour's house And did you notice the lighting slash decorations in her house? I can't remember any specifics. Okay, the pink lighting. You didn't notice this? This? No, I noticed. Okay, okay. It had a very, like, fluffy, like, cotton candy 80s feel. I didn't notice the pink lighting specifically. Oh, my. Yes. So you were getting that cotton candy feel because... So in her stairway, like... And then she has that that naked statue. So she has a naked statue. And then her her stairwell has, like, in the sheetrock, there are places carved out where she has miniature statues. But then there's, like, the pink backlighting. She's a woman of the 80s. It, it's... It's... It's so gaudy. It's... It's... It's so bad. So... There is an Instagram, and I don't know what it's called, but it's basically showcasing terrible decor slash wonderful decor in Murder, She Wrote. So I'm going to find This has to be at the oh, top. Oh, I, I has I mean, to be. there are so many possibilities. Like, you're only 17 episodes, 17 episodes in, Jesus Christ. I know. <laughs> and a modern woman. She embraces her femininity while still being hip. But there is pink backlighting. It's terrible. I love it. So... At Priscilla Anna Wintour's house, Jessica is questioning her about why she changed her mind about running for office. Priscilla Anna is still denying it and playing coy, but Jess is like, look, let's let's cut the shit. I don't have time for this. Have you received a blackmail threat lately? And then at this point, Gavin, the ex-husband, comes down the stairs and confirms that they have received a blackmail threat. Is he wearing one of her bathrobes? Because I certainly he- hope so. He is definitely wearing a bathrobe. 
I don't know if it's hers. So Gavin has confirmed that yes, they did receive a blackmail threat that morning. And then at this point, Priscilla Anna spills the beans. So here it is, guys. This is some shit. So when Anna wa- when Priscilla Anna was an undergrad, she and Gavin had an affair. Gavin was married to another woman. Priscilla Anna got pregnant and then had an abortion. So Priscilla Anna did want to run for office. So she did hire Archie to see what he was able to dig up. And if he could, in fact, dig up the abortion, which he did. And then the blackmailer or the blackmailer called her that morning asking for $250,000 to keep quiet. And then now she's not running for office anymore. Just to keep in mind for context, this scene or this episode was aired in 1985 and so you're talking about an abortion in the late 60s which is actually like kind of a big deal i mean and just talking about a, an abortion really even now on television but especially back in the mid 80s is a big deal well and then she makes a good point which i still think is true today that a woman that's had an abortion cannot run for off and i mean Whether you agree or disagree with abortion, I think that that's probably a true statement. I feel like yes, but with a caveat, and that would be somebody running in a blue state who had one. Maybe. Maybe. To save their life. Or had one because the baby was born without a brain or something. What was that show? Maud? The one with B. Arthur? They had an abortion plot, and that apparently was super scandalous Mm. at the time. It's an episode called Maud's Dilemma. It aired in 1972. Oh, wow. What's the name of the show? Maud, M-A-U-D-E. Like, B. Arthur, because you didn't didn't watch The Golden Girls. I did not. But yeah, it was like one of the first uh, times when abortion was brought up that... Mm -hmm kind of nakedly as it were Mm -hmm. and that was even before roe v wade right yeah because roe was decided in 1973 so they might have i'm sure it was in the public consciousness because supreme court decisions take Mm -hmm. forever we forgot to mention that she had this abortion and then she couldn't have any babies afterward because it like wrecked her inside which is either a public service announcement about the dangers of abortion or a indictment of back alley abortion probably both probably later that evening after talking with priscilla anna wintour jess goes to the police station it's never really revealed why she was going to the police station but she catches the lieutenant as he's leaving so they're outside on the steps of the police station jessica and the the lieutenant are standing in front of the police station when santini pulls up in his car And he gets out and he's got this busted up face and then he gets out of the car and goes around to the back seat and he pulls out Harry from the back seat who has an even more busted up face. So it's clear that they just got into it and then Santini says that he's pressing charges. So then it cuts to everyone in the lieutenant's office and Santini is explaining that he has been followed by Harry and then the other guy Ray for several weeks and at first he thought it was union guys or a competitor but then later like earlier that that day his wife admits to him that that she was having him followed because she thinks he's having an affair now it turns out he every night that he was sneaking off he was actually going down down to the docks and he was recreating rebuilding a sailboat that he and his wife used to own that got destroyed and he was like building a duplicate for her as a surprise So then Jess gets this idea 
and she needs to go back to the office again, and she asks Harry for his keys. So cut to Jessica sitting in the office when Ray comes in, and he has to unlock the door. So again, he gets his keys out and the keys jangle. And apparently Jessica has asked him to come to the office because something's happened to Harry. Jessica explains that Harry and Santini got into a fight, but Santini has been cleared of killing Archie Miles. And then Ray was just like, oh, well, I guess it must have been someone else who tried to kill me earlier yesterday, whenever that was. And then this is where Jessica shows her cards and she's like, okay, enough. So I know that no one else tried to attack you. Your attack was staged to divert suspicion off of Priscilla and Wintour and onto Santini. Um, also, I know that you learned about Priscilla Anna's abortion and you wanted to use that as blackmail, but Archie would never have let you do that, so you killed him. Oh, by the way, my only evidence is this little bitty torn piece of paper out of Archie Miles's file and your jangling keys. And then Ray, I guess, really feels that this is a sufficient amount of evidence against him. For being a PI, he doesn't know much about evidence. Jessica recorded, had just recorded Ray coming into the office. So she got on, on tape the jangling sound that his keys make when he opens a door. And then she also played back the, the tape recording of what Archie Miles was recording when he was killed. And you hear a similar jangling. That is decent circumstantial evidence. I don't think any reasonable juror would convict someone on the sound of dangling keys alone. God, I hope not. Well, he doesn't even really confess to it. He's just like, yeah, so he's like, you're a smart lady, but you're also a dumb lady. And then he pulls a gun on Jessica. And then Harry comes around the corner in the next office and pulls a gun on Ray. And that's the end of that. And the next scene Harry is driving Jessica back to Cabot Cove and is trying to convince Jessica to come work for him or work with him as a PI. And that is the episode. (laughs) Is there anything about this episode that particularly sticks in your craw? (laughs) And I ask that because I have several things that are sticking in my craw. Okay, so logistically, Ray Kravitz steals this piece of information about... Priscilla, Anna having an abortion. Okay. Why does he wait a week to blackmail Priscilla, Anna about it? And also that bit of information seems to, I don't know, connect the dots for Jessica. I'm just a little confused about the timing. So I guess my thing is, is maybe he didn't do it earlier because he thought it might raise a red flag, but it also doesn't make sense that he do it while they're actively investigating this guy's I didn't really understand it either. He kind of reminded me of like an arena or an Amelia, just kind of a background character that you don't pay much attention to, but it turns out he's the murderer. Mm-hmm. Cause there was so much going on in this episode with like all the abortions and the rapes and the murders. And it's like, Oh, and, and this guy, and then the sailboat, because you got to have a boat. You got to have a sailboat. It's not a murder. She wrote. If you don't have a sailboat, it's murder. Welcome to murder. She boat. <laughs> murder. <laughs> podcast that mentions a boat every single time and then also i think it's just super convenient that jessica goes to vermont all she has is like the name of a town and then two other names and then she just happens to go into the right office of the right people that are related to the people of the danbury scopple murder let me tell you a story about Uh 
my small town in Pennsylvania. One time my brother was crossing the street and he didn't look where he was going. He's like a teenager and he's already like six foot four. He got hit by a car and knocked over, just stunned. He got up and ran away. Now the person who hit him was horrified and she- this person, it took oh her my. less than like an hour to find out who it was. And then they called my mom and my brother's just sitting there like, he was embarrassed that he got hit by the car <laughs> and then ran away and he was fine. I'm like, okay, well, that's like small town in action. So it wouldn't surprise me like walking in town, especially if the guy's like an insurance guy and has a business. I'm still not buying it. I'm just Didn't not buying it. in like a town smaller than- I did. Maybe they just didn't like each other enough to know or be nosy enough. Because you can bet, Mm. you can bet if somebody came rolling into Cabot Cove with a scrap of paper with three words on it, Jessica would like where to send them. Yeah. Head cannon. Yeah. And then again, just the scintilla of evidence against Ray Kravitz. Literally, all there is, is... The jangling of the keys. That's all they have. It could have been the freaking janitor. Because janitors have those giant... Right. Or, I mean, a killer could have made a duplicate of the key and put it on his own key ring with lots of other keys. What about you? What were your major issues with this with this episode so i'm not sure there were so much issues as they were like kind of thing rabbit holes that i felt and there were two Mm -hmm. in particular what the availability of abortion would have been in massachusetts in the late 1960s Mm -hmm. because i mean abortion's never gonna not be a topic Mm -hmm. that people talk about And especially these days with like the Texas law and all that controversy, because Roe v. Wade, as we mentioned, wasn't decided until 73 and Massachusetts being like a pretty staunchly Catholic enclave outlawed abortion until Roe was decided. And and they had mentioned going out of state. So I guess the implication is, is that it was like some kind of below the radar back alley abortion. Yeah. Yeah. But they also mentioned hospital records. Mm-hmm. So that's like a little confusing to me. I feel like this is one of the things that they didn't really think through, right? Like, because they're like, oh, it's 85 yeah. abortions legal. But I'm like, yeah, but so. Right. I mean, I guess one conceivable explanation would be that she did have yeah. like a back alley abortion. That's, yeah. But then she had problems resulting from that and then had to go get treated at a hospital, which that's the hospital records part of it. Yeah, but that's that's kind of a stretch yeah but then you could always i guess make the argument that if she's i mean i don't know what Mm -hmm. symptoms result from a botched abortion but i mean it appears the abortion was successful and that's like kind of something that like growing up in the evangelical church they gave us a lot of uh that Mm. kind of propaganda like if you have an abortion you're gonna ruin your ability Mm -hmm. to have a kid ever actually abortions when done safely and correctly are less risky than bringing a pregnancy to term the other thing that kind of i didn't come to any kind of conclusion on this is the way that the police are treating harry's cowboy vigilante justice thing Mm -hmm. because it's 
I guess it's one thing to kind of look the other way, but he like admits to Jessica, oh, we're just letting Harry murder him is totally fine. Mm-hmm. Well, he does say that off the record. Oh, yeah, I forgot. When Oh, guys, uh, just, <laughs> this is a lawyer's opinion. If you say off the record, it can't. Also, that is a joke. Okay, that is, that is, that is not, not legal that advice. Is not legal advice. It's off the record. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, need to search into this about kind of like what the rules for vigilante justice are. Like, is that like mm-hmm. obviously if you're the person who kills the person, like you get in trouble. But like, what about people who knew about it and didn't stop it? Especially law enforcement officers. I mean, yeah, but then they also, I guess, it could be like, okay, yeah, Harry said, er, Harry said that he wanted to kill the guy that killed his partner. Okay. I'm sure people, like, guys that have had their wives murdered want to kill the guy that murdered their wife. But, like, but think about, like, a therapist's duty to report. If they right. believe that they're allowed to break privilege mm-hmm. if they're, like, saying, I'm going to kill John Smith, like, next Monday or something. They're not even allowed. They have to break their privilege. They have a duty to report. And... This also led me down my smaller rabbit hole to a Supreme Court case called Town of Castle Rock versus Gonzalez, which was decided in 2005. And the takeaway from it was like the police have no active or they have no like constitutional requirement to protect or mm. anybody. Like, then what do they, they do? They protect property and they hand out speeding tickets. <laughs> like, it's like. I mean, it's like a, it's like some kind of almost like, it's like the qualified immunity thing, but for not doing this, right? Like, it's like, you're allowed, like, you could literally just sit there and do fucking nothing and be fine, is what I'm getting from this. Interesting. In in the case of uh, Gonzalez, this woman had a restraining order against, like, her ex-husband for domestic violence, and the police mm-hmm. would didn't enforce it what were the police supposed to do were they supposed to like put up like someone 24 7 on her house after he violated the restraining mm-hmm. order like they didn't um, go to arrest him that kind of father the ex the the man in the situation kidnapped the three children uh-huh. called his wife to say that he had the kids she called the police. They didn't do anything. And then this guy comes to the police mm-hmm. station, shoots mm. it up, dead kids. Holy shit. They're just trying to basically say they had a duty to enforce the restraining order because she had called them and he told them where she was. He told her where she he was. He's like, I'm at this amusement park. I have the kids. Fuck you. Mm-hmm. And she calls the police and they're just like, eh, and then kids die. Did she bring this under section uh, 1983? So she, I have to look at the actual case, but it looks like she tried to kind of a little bit of uh, legal gymnastics and saying that she had a property interest in enforcing a restraining disorder because under the 14th Amendment's due process guarantee. That's an interesting tack to take. And there was also another decision in 1989 that says that social workers didn't have mm. any constitutional duty to protect a boy from being beaten to death by his father. So because the the substantive mm. question had been decided earlier, they tried to figure it out on procedural grounds. And mm-hmm. so this has yeah. been things that are real mm. bummers with mostly Elizabeth. <laughs> so going back to the scene where Priscilla, Anna Wintour, and Jessica are talking in the corporate office and Priscilla, Anna wants Jessica to write um, an article 
for her. And Priscilla wants like a woman of today in a man's world. This is how you do it. And Jessica wants more of like a cute, sweet, like marriage remembrance piece. You and I kind of have this view of Jessica as a pre-feminist, right? The proto-third wave feminist. Yeah, that's what you call it. Yes, that means something. I didn't make it up. (laughs) What Jessica wants to write about isn't necessarily what we think of as feminism. So how do you kind of work that out? The the big buzzword for third wave fem is intersectionality, right? And that includes things like trans rights and, and being in the LGBTQ community. But that also includes a women's or a female identifying person's right to choose how they want to focus and what they want to do with their lives. What difference is there between me a man telling you a woman to stay home and cook my dinner versus me a Mm -hmm. woman telling you a woman you shouldn't be stuck at home cooking your husband's dinner go out there and get a job like it's a question Mm -hmm. of what you want to do and that's like if you want to stay home with your kids that's great so basically it's it's the woman herself yeah the best choice for herself and for her family no matter no matter if that's being a stay-at-home mom, if that's her choice, or if it's being the CEO of a Fortune 500 company. Exactly. And that's kind of why I saw Jessica as like a proto-third-wave feminist, because she's very clear in like what she values and what she wants. Mm-hmm. And she doesn't let people like push her. But what she happens to want is just like a little bit different than what 80s power lady with the shoulder pads wants. Like... Right. So, Laura, did you like this episode? It was fine. I I really liked Harry McGraw as a character, and I'm looking forward to seeing him appear in more episodes. I think that he and Jessica had a really good chemistry. I mean, the episode had a lot of heavy hitters that it just brushed off yep. on, which I think that you could make entire episodes in and of itself, of these heavy hitters, like the abortion, like the Danbury Scalpel murder case. Like, I want to see that episode. Overall, I, like, I give it five ashtrays. What about you? So I give it six ashtrays for the simple reason that there was an actual ashtray in this episode. Because Harry <laughs> yes, there was. <laughs> despite all his trying to keep it tidy. And, and for kind of the same reason, like, I feel like, like, it was just kind of it had some good parts. And it but it didn't quite know where to go with them. So it just kind of squished them all together. And especially, I think Harry McGraw, he's a little much at the beginning, but I think he kind of, kind of evens out a little bit, especially when he kind of coalesces with Lenny Briscoe, when they're like, yeah, when Jerry Orbach is basically playing both characters at the same time. And then again, just the really, really limited circumstantial evidence. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, any, any, like, first year public defender, no offense to my public defenders, y'all are the best defense attorneys out there, but any first year public defender would have a field day with that case. And in the midst of all this chaos, did you find a Golden Grady? So I think that my Golden Grady, I'm going to have to give to Mrs. Santini. Oh, ooh, bold choice. 
She's not, she doesn't even appear. No, she doesn't. But just the way that Santini describes her and also Santini is busting his butt for this construction company and he is building her a duplicate replica of the sailboat that they once had that was destroyed and he wants this to be an exact duplicate replica whatever and he's being super sweet about it and he knows he now knows that his wife thinks he was cheating on him and hired a private detective so maybe he should get the golden grady actually now that i'm thinking about it but no, I think I think you might be right because like he didn't realize like the optics of a situation like that, especially knowing what type of woman his wife was. Right. So he was going every night and spending a lot of money to to recreate this sailboat for his wife that he didn't seem to be all that bothered about that he was being followed on her orders. I mean, I feel like he's kind of made peace with the fact that like she's a little much because of the way he yeah. described her but no that's the she's probably a hypochondriac i imagine her being a hypochondriac i don't know if i'd want to be at sea <laughs> having spent time at sea with people you get to know people really fast and you don't necessarily enjoy it so who is your golden grading i wanted to give it to gavin just because he's just kind of there he's sweet yeah it's kind of a little dopey but he means well yeah. He hasn't really gotten any trouble this mm-hmm. time, but he just yeah kind of occupies space and time. He doesn't do anything particularly stupid, but he also, like, isn't the smartest. Yeah, Priscilla definitely wears the pants in the marriage and in the divorce and the, sh- and the shoulder pads. I am going to briefly talk about next episode, and then I am going to go take a nap because my hands hurts. <laughs> It's season one, episode 18, Sudden Death. Jessica inherits shares in the football team and becomes embroiled in a murder case when the owner of the team is found dead. Is the killing connected to the endless offers to buy Jessica out? So thank you for listening to this episode. Go um, to our website at MurderSheWoke.com. Email us There's at... There's a link on the website. Yeah. You can find that. Also... <laughs> we are super professional yeah like rate review and subscribe guys like for realsies and thank you to everybody who listens to this thing and to jeremy our sound person and to maddie our creative genius behind the website and yeah so have a great intervening time period and until then stay woke stay woke also go braves (laughs) 